0: Good morning. During the month of October, we pause and remember the sin and destructive nature of domestic violence. Each Sunday, we light three candles as a reminder of all those suffering from domestic violence. We acknowledge the reality of brokenness and sin in the world. We hear the words of scripture calling to us, God has shown you, or motor, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? but to ask justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. As we light these candles, may the hurt and sorrow of the abused echo within us. May we be aware of the violence around us and may we not be overcome by evil, but may we overcome evil with good. As these candles shine, may the light of your love penetrate the darkness of our world. Let's pray. We are the church, We offer ourselves to you, O God, our creator. We offer our hands. May we extend them healing touch to comfort sisters and brothers, children, youth, and elderly who are afraid. We offer our eyes and ears. May we see and hear the signs and stories of violence so that they all may have someone with them in their pain and confusion. May we offer our hearts and our tears May the hurt and sorrow of the abused echo within us. May we offer our own stories of violence. May we be healed as we embrace each other. We offer our anger, make it a passion for justice. We offer our skills, use our gifts to end violence. We offer our faith, our hope, our love. May our encounters with violence bring us closer to you and to each other. All this we ask through Jesus Christ, who knows the pain of violence. Amen.
1: My name is Evan Colding. I'm the student ministries pastor here at Hope. And um, I am excited, humbled, um, and anxious to bring the word this morning. So please uh, pray with me as we calm my nerves and prepare our hearts. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for Jesus, that you sent him from among us. You sent him from you to be among us. Thank you for the word that you've given us in scripture. Speak to us, meet with us this morning. And we, may we be more like Christ because of our time together in worship this morning. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning I'm going to be teaching from Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 30. So if you have a Bible, uh, you have a Bible on your phone, your iPad, whatever the case may be, I encourage you to turn there. Luke chapter 4. Verses 16 through 30. While you're turning there, um, I'm going to ask that you use your imaginations for a little bit. Uh, This isn't simply a class where we are lectured at um, or where I pontificate about some esoteric ideals. Let's try to engage our creativity here a little bit. So, imagine with me Imagine a nation that's divided along political lines, racial lines, economic lines. Now imagine this nation where even the ideas of what patriotism and what protest look like are hotly contested issues. Imagine such a place. Now imagine in this, country, in this nation... There is a man who was placed by a foreign power to lead. Now, this man is sus- supremely suspicious of all who are with him, near him, or around him, always anxious and trying to stay ahead of anyone who might be working to undermine or usurp his power. This man will do anything and everything to stop any sort of protest. Now there's, in this nation, there are many people, many people who have come with ideas, who've come with, uh, to champion causes, who've tried to work for reform. There's no short measure, we're in no short supply in this imaginary place of people who want change. Now, in this imaginary nation, there's a small town in the middle of nowhere, full of a bunch of nobodies from nowhere. They're working-class, blue-collar types who, at the end of the day, just desire someone to come and restore their nation to the greatness that it once was, and the greatness that they firmly believe that God has created them to be in the future. Now imagine with me, in this place, everyone everywhere was waiting and looking for someone to bring some type of lasting change. Someone who could be the savior for all that they longed and hoped for. Now, maybe for some of us, uh, such an imaginary imaginary, uh, test is hard to imagine. It's hard to imagine and conceptualize such a place, such a context. For other of us, maybe it's right on the tip of tongue. So from this place, from this context, this divided nation, this hurting people, these people who desire change, these rulers, this political, social, religious climate. This is not just an imaginary place. In fact, this nation is Israel. The ruler is Herod. And this small, nowhere town is a little place called Nazareth. And this, this is the context in which Jesus enters the scene. This is the context where we begin our story this morning about the beginning of Jesus' work as Savior in our world. Oftentimes we read stories in the Bible and we imagine it taking place in a far-off distant land, in a time that is so far removed from us that it's hard to wrap our head around what it actually looked like And then when we read the teachings and the workings of Jesus within this far-off distant land, it becomes very difficult to really practically and tangibly imagine what any of that actually has to do with my life here today in 2017. As I've wrestled with this story, I have come to realize that the context in which Jesus came and lived and died and rose again may not be as so far removed from where we find ourselves today and the people that jesus lived with walked among may not have been so much different than me today this is, the, this is the story that we're going to be engaging in this morning in Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 30. So let's get into it. If you have your Bibles open, we're going to start in uh, verse 16. I'm going to read the whole passage. It's a, it's a long text, but it's a really important story to understand who Jesus is, what he's about, and where we fit in with this whole thing moving forward. Beginning in verse 16, Jesus went to Nazareth, where he had been raised. On the Sabbath, he went to the synagogue, as he normally did, and stood up to read. The synagogue assistant gave him the scroll from the prophet Isaiah. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the prisoners, the recovery of sight to the blind, and to liberate the oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the synagogue assistant and sat down. Every eye in the synagogue was fixed on him. He began to explain, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled just as you have heard it. Everyone was raving about Jesus, impressed were they by the gracious words flowing from his lips. They said, this is Joseph's son, isn't it? Then Jesus said to them, undoubtedly you will quote this saying to me, doctor, what you have <clears throat> heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what, you've, what we've heard you do in Capernaum. He said, I assure you that no prophet is welcome (coughs) in a prophet's hometown. And I can assure you that there were many widows in Israel during Elijah's time when it didn't rain for three and a half years and there were great food shortages in the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them but only to the widow in Zarephath in the region, region of Sidon. There were also many persons with skin disease in Israel during the time of the prophet Elisha, but none of them were cleansed. Instead, Naaman, the Syrian, was cleansed. When they heard this, everyone in the synagogue was filled with anger. They rose up, ran him out of town. They led him to the crest of the hill on which their town had been built so that they could throw him off the cliff but he passed through the crowd and went on his way. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There is a lot happening in this text. This story has twists and turns and turns and twists. You could probably say this is a very unexpected story for how someone may begin a public ministry, a public work. So let's take it from the beginning, because I think to understand this first, we need to realize and be able to conceptualize and understand that Jesus is the Savior. This is what Jesus is, the center of what Jesus is proclaiming here, that he is the Savior. He sets it up with this, this text from Isaiah, the prophet, He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. Now, he's not just quoting some um, fancy, (laughs) feel-good, powerful text from Israel's past. These are things that have just taken place. In Luke chapter 3, just before this, Jesus went to the Jordan River and was baptized by his cousin John. And when he came out of the waters, the Bible tells us that the spirit of the Lord descended upon him like a dove and a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I am well pleased. He was anointed by the spirit, filled with power. And this is what he's talking about. And if we're going to continue this conversation and continue to talk about what it means to follow Jesus, to figure out who he is and what he's about, we need to begin from a place where we recognize that Jesus is the Savior. And see, he didn't, again, just flip through the scroll and say, ah, this one. He picked Isaiah 61 intentionally because when Isaiah spoke this to Israel, they were in exile. Israel was not living in their own country. And so when the exiles of Israel heard these words, that Isaiah had been sent to preach good news to the poor, proclaim release to the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, and liberate the oppressed, and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, this was a literal hearing for them. They were literally poor. They were literally in prison. They were literally being oppressed. And they hadn't seen the Lord's favor in generations. In their current context, when Jesus reads this, Israel is occupied by Rome. Rome has conquered them. Herod had been placed to rule over them by Rome. So in the original hearing, they hear... Jesus, read this text and say, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus is saying a new kingdom is about to be built and is going to be built through me because I have been filled with the Holy Spirit and anointed by God. So before we continue, we need to realize that to follow Jesus and to understand him as Savior is to take him at his word that he is one who is filled with the Holy Spirit, anointed by God to create a new kingdom where the good news is preached to the poor, prisoners are released, the blind can see, the oppressed are liberated, and the year of the Lord's favor is proclaimed. Jesus is the Savior, and he went to Nazareth to proclaim this, his hometown He didn't go to Jerusalem. He didn't call a press conference and get all the cable networks in. He didn't get on Twitter. He wasn't posting videos on Instagram. This was not on Facebook Live. This was a backwards nowhere town full of nobodies. It was where Jesus was from. This is important because Jesus is very comfortable with humble beginnings. In fact, that's his preferred mode of operation. John, in chapter 1, verse 14, has more to say about that. He says, The word of God came and dwelt among us, made his home among us, and it's from here, from among us, that we recognize him as Savior. Jesus is Savior who has come. When we we see what he talks about, uh, preaching good news to the poor, uh, proclaiming release to prisoners, liberating the oppressed, bringing sight to the blind. If we're honest with ourselves, this covers every hardship, heartache, and pain that we can experience. both literally, metaphorically. What hardship can we, what problem can we have that in some way is not encapsulated in what Jesus said he came to do here? See, this savior, Jesus, came to answer, be the answer to the problems that we have, not to be the answer to the problems that we don't have. He came answering questions that we're already asking. He's not telling us the questions to ask and then saying, oh, actually, I'm the answer to this one. See, he is the Savior. If we cannot start here, then we may as well not continue. Jesus didn't come to be the answer to the problem nobody had. He came to be the answer to all the problems we all have. Jesus is the Savior that we have been anticipating See, in Jesus, we find everything we could ask for. In this text, Isaiah 61, it is about the restoration of people. It is about the restoration of a nation. And so when he reads this text, it's no wonder why everybody is excited. We see this in verse 22 everyone was raving about Jesus. They were so impressed by the gracious words flowing from his lips. They even said, this is Joseph's son, isn't it? You get this sense of like, is this happening? The person that we've always been waiting for is here. I, I have a chance to be able to be free again. The things that I can't see resolution to, the things that I feel blind to, I may be able to see. Again, Jesus came to be the Savior that we have been waiting for. If we're honest, we are waiting for a Savior. Ever drive on the (laughs) 60 during rush hour? You've been waiting for a savior. (laughs) When your kids are screaming about something that you cannot resolve, you've been waiting for a savior. (laughs) When the paychecks keep coming, but the bills keep coming faster, you've been waiting for a savior. When you look in the mirror, and you can't figure out the value or the worth of the person that you're looking at, you've been waiting for a Savior. When you can't escape the hurt, the pain, the abuse, you've been waiting for a Savior. Jesus is the Savior that we've been anticipating, that we've been waiting for. Jesus names this. He says, I am filled with the Spirit, been anointed by the Lord. I am here. This has been fulfilled. It is now happening. In these few lines, we find every imaginable heartache and circumstance. And Jesus centers himself as the answer within the fullness of the Trinity. See, Jesus doesn't lay out a formula, he doesn't say a plan, he doesn't provide a theoretical political reform, he doesn't rally zealots for uprising. He centers himself as the answer. He is the savior that we have been anticipating, and there's joy and excitement. The people couldn't contain themselves is it possible that this is Joseph's son, the one that we have known, that we have seen, the one that has come from among us? Is this possible? And you could almost hear it in between the lines of the text. People starting to figure out how we can really get this going. He's like, hey, I'm in marketing. I, we, I, we could do a lot with this. Um, I know someone who loves these kind of things. There'll be a huge donors for this. Jesus, I have a cousin who's connected to you can almost start hearing this, right? As they're raving about him. What we have been waiting for, what we have been working for, what we have been, where we have been let down, and where we have been lost, that is why Jesus has come. It is for this reason he has come. In him we find restoration. In him, redemption for our pain. He came to restore us from our brokenness. But hear me clearly, this is an important piece. He will not be contained by our brokenness. See, there's this swelling excitement from among the synagogue, and Jesus does something completely unexpected, totally counter, unproductive to the... (laughs) um, how we would normally rally a crowd around our cause. He gets these people excited and he says, actually, you know what? Before you get going, let me say something. I know what you're gonna say. Eventually, you're gonna turn on me and say, you know what, why don't you do for us what we've heard you do other places? You know, prove yourself. Jesus feels this, he anticipates this. And so he does this crazy thing That doesn't really mean a lot to us now. He tells two stories. One of a widow (coughs) who Elijah was sent to and the other of a man named Naaman. And something about these stories really makes everybody angry. This part has always confused me. Why would Jesus intentionally make people angry? Well, see, the widow was not an Israelite. She was a poor, she was a powerless, helpless woman that when Elijah found her, she was preparing to make her last meal for her son and herself before they die. She had nothing to offer, nothing to gain. And God sent Elijah outside of Israel to be with this widow. And during that time, during the three years of that famine, the widow had food to eat. When the widow's son died, Elijah brought the son back to life. And at the end of the story of this widow, the widow proclaimed with her own lips that you are a man of God whose truth is on your mouth. This woman had nothing. She was a nobody. She was not one of us. Then Naaman was even worse. He was the chief of staff of a king of an opposing nation who had leprosy. Who, when he found out Elisha, a different guy, was a prophet and could heal him, he brought all the treasures of his kingdom to pay Elisha for the healing of God. Elisha healed Naaman. Scratch that. Elijah would not agree with that statement. God healed <laughs> Naaman through Elisha. And when Elisha refused the treasures, refused the bounty, Naaman, the chief of staff of an opposing nation with their own gods said, never again will I sacrifice or worship any other God but the Lord. And then returns to his country as a God-fearing man. So why does this make people angry? It makes them angry because Jesus is the Savior that we've been waiting for, but he is not the Savior we expected. Jesus is exactly the Savior our world needs then and today. In these few short verses of this story, Jesus is welcomed with praise and then sent away in an attempted murder. Because Jesus came to be the restoration of your brokenness, of my brokenness, to restore us, to build a new kingdom where we fit, we're valued, we have purpose, and we're eternally loved. But our brokenness draws lines. Our brokenness says me, but not you. Our brokenness resides within a divided country, within divided families, within divided relationships, within divided personalities. We're good at drawing lines. But Jesus says, I have come to restore you, but not just you. I am your Savior, but not just your Savior. He is the one we've been anticipating, but he is not necessarily the one that we've expected. Accepting Jesus as Savior means allowing him to continually refine and restore us so that we can engage our world in the unexpected ways of the kingdom of God. We will always be restored and refined in the presence of Jesus. And the moments that we feel like Jesus has started to affirm everything about me and every position I hold in opposition to others, we need to be careful and say, where am I needing to be refined? Because the people in the synagogue were not ready to accept that this Savior that they've been waiting for will also be the Savior of their enemies. Are we ready for that type of Savior? Are we ready for that type of kingdom? This unexpected kingdom where Jesus is absolutely your Savior. He came for you. He came and was sent to be among us answering the questions, resolving the problems, restoring the brokenness that we have. But he's not going to be defined and restricted to our brokenness. The people that I have a hard time with, the positions that I can't accept, he's not going to be limited by that. There are people being saved on all sides of every line. Now, this is not to say that all things are right, all things are equal, but this is to say when it comes to the kingdom, all people are worthy. This is what drove people crazy. This is why people wanted to kill Jesus, because he was the Savior that they were waiting for, but not the one they expected. But he passed through and went on his way. Our brokenness can't stop him. Our anger will not stop him because the kingdom of heaven is advancing here on earth. And it is up to us, it is up to you to decide is this what I want to be a part of? Each day we need to ask ourselves, how in the presence of my Savior can I better receive his grace? And we also need to ask, how in the presence of my Savior can I more faithfully extend his grace? Because he is the Savior you've been waiting for, but he will not always be the Savior you were expecting. But he is always and forever the Savior our world needs. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for the beauty, the power, the glory of Jesus. That he is everything that we need. Thank you that we find our place in your kingdom. And thank you that you are bigger than our brokenness. Forgive us for the ways that we've wished to limit you and limit the work of your kingdom. Where we need to repent, Lord, please forgive us. And where we need to accept more of your grace, please soften our hearts to do that. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.